Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. It's your host, Joshua Gillow, with a special guest on today. This guy here does something unique, and I'm sure you guys out there listening are going to be... Um, you're going to have questions about how he actually does it. So I wanted to bring him on and I'm going to unlock that here for a moment in a moment for you guys. But he's up in Muskoka in Ontario. It's Muskoka Landscapes. And what he does that's so unique and why I wanted to have him on the podcast, not just because he does amazing, beautiful work, but also because he does remote projects on islands. So I want to unlock that today with Kevin Scott and, uh, you know, bring him on the show and talk to him about exactly how they pull that kind of stuff off in, in Canada, where it's always cold. At least that's what I think in Pennsylvania. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, fantastic, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, really looking forward to it. No, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, I have to go right to it, dude. So islands. How do you start and build and get to and get materials to? I mean, that's like a logistical nightmare in my head. So tell me a little bit about how that happens. So, yeah, islands are a beast in themselves. I mean, the work itself, once you're there, is obviously the same as, as mainland. The, the issues become logistics, staffing, washrooms, materials, equipment, fuel, uh, how it gets built, you know, how you get in your time and material cover. There's always delays with the barge or delays with trucking. And so it's a, it's a much more scheduling, much more admin, um, you know, trying to have all your ducks in a row, trying to have enough traffic available to get sub trades out. Um, during the season, I mean, it's, you know, a romantic notion to boat to work every day uh, from, you know, May till September, but October, November, Ice in, ice out. Those months can be can be miserable. Um, a lot of projects do carry on once ice in happens, and and you know you can snowmobile out. Uh, there's different. There's airboats. There's uh, helicopters. There's uh, sherpas, which are like a giant Argo that have these huge flotation tires on them. That if for some reason they do break through, they float. Uh, so it's a closed cab. That's a fairly new new thing to our area in the past couple of years. Um, so yeah, sometimes it, it really depends on the project. Like some projects will just shut down for the winter, you know, or you get somebody who's nervous about the ice or the conditions aren't great or it's slushy. Um, a lot of variables, a lot of variables. Once you're there, the, you know, it's great, but uh, getting everything back and forth is a bit of a feat. Oh, I can't even imagine. Holy moly. Um, it's crazy. Cause I know, you know, when you used to snowmobile up in New York state, 
uh, Tug Hill and, and the old forge areas and the lakes would freeze and you can go out across and you see some of the guys that said, once we get X amount of inches of ice, we'll drive our trucks across to the islands and service them and bring, you know, things out, supplies out. So in the summer they can build. And I've always been fascinated by that idea. And I'm like, it has to, there has to be a logical way, but to think that you guys are doing, you know, incredible landscapes, naturalistic landscapes out on these islands is fascinating to me. So how did you, Tell me, tell me your story. How'd you get into this to begin with and why islands? I would say in the past years, we've only done maybe one project, maybe two projects a year that are island based. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past three or four years, as you know, more properties have sold and islands have become more attractive and more affordable, um, there's been much more island work. So we've got three or four island projects this year, some that are, are very large. We've got one coming up this fall that uh, has three different cottages, a couple guest houses, a maintenance building, four boathouses, um, massive, massive project. Um, you know, and some of the unique things too, like when you're designing on an island, you could generally got 360-degree views. Mm, you know, sure. so it becomes difficult to hide things like propane tanks and generators and satellite dishes and, um, you know, a few years ago, we started burying propane tanks. So there's some companies that, you know, uh, will supply burial, burial tanks, burial fuel tanks, um, fuel for boats on the islands, um, you know, and then heating and cooling, obviously having enough propane to sustain a building for the winter mm-hmm. uh, without getting, you know, services out there. Um, and yeah, talk, talking about uh, trucks and, and snow plowing, there's still quite a few islands that do have roads to them. Uh, you know, for a 60 to 70 day period uh, in the winter and and some islands that are big enough uh, that there's actually small roads on the islands. Wow. Um, so, you know, once you get out, you can, you can drive right to site and uh, unload your tools and, and, and get going. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I think as time goes on too, it'll just become more and more common because there's a lot more island land available than mainland. Interesting. And it's more affordable. Yeah. That's, that's, wow. Okay. In the U S you think Island, you think so much more expensive, but, uh, maybe in your area, there's, is there just lots and lots of islands where you're at? Yeah. In the three big lakes, uh, there certainly is a lot of islands. Um, there's a lot of islands that are very large and haven't been, you know, kind of chunked up yet. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of frontage available for new lots. Um, and I would, I mean, obviously cost, we, we always tell people it's probably 30 to 35% more expensive just for the logistics of an island project yeah it's more the land costs you know to buy 400 feet of shoreline on some of the lakes in the area you may pay uh you know three to four million dollars for a good lot on an island you might pay a million one three and i mean those are kind of covid prices yeah uh everything's kind of inflated at the moment but there's also a lot of romance in it. I mean, as long as you've got a reliable, you know, closed in boat and your family is used to it, like some, some of our customers love it, you know, yeah. it's, there's nobody dropping in. It's, it's easy to organize people. They love that they have to boat everywhere. Um, we're very fortunate where we are that, you know, when you're on the islands, there's lots of, there's golf courses to boat to, there's restaurants, there's grocery stores. Um, you know, so a lot of, we have two customers that I can think of in particular, like they stay for the summer, Wow. you know, and, and rarely probably get in the vehicle. Um, and then there's float planes and helicopters and, 
you know, we're starting to see helicopters get involved much more in those seasonal ones for things like bringing out trusses and concrete and um, floor joists, like anything that's really oversized, some of the, the steel for some of these new builds, uh, the contemporary builds for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, one of the, the biggest negatives, I guess, is, is staging because a lot of times you just, you don't have a big driveway or garage area to stage materials. Um, and then everybody's fighting over the barge area for access. And mm-hmm. yeah, logistically it gets, it gets tricky. And we're, we're also fortunate, a lot of great barge companies, you know, yeah. we have barges that'll take over a hundred tons at a time. Hmm. Um, so it makes it, uh, makes it, uh, efficient, you know, to get lots of material out at once and you kind of plan your days around it. That's, that's really interesting. I can't even imagine throwing that into the mix. I know how tough it is sometimes just to build projects on regular land and then to have to add the barges and timing. And, uh, you just can't go pick up something at home Depot if you forgot it. You know what I mean? It's like, you gotta, right. you gotta be well planned. Exactly. So, so Kevin, how did you get into this outdoor living arena? What's your background? And uh, I'd love to hear about how you got started. Yeah, so I I, um, I worked for a golf course construction company for a long, well, for 10 years. A uh, great company, a Kitchener. When I started, it was kind of the beginning of the golf construction boom. Uh, we had about 90 employees when I started and 400-ish when I, when I left. Um, so it was great timing for me. I was kind of moved along relatively quickly. Had a great ownership there. Really, really enjoyed the people I worked for and, and with, and the projects were great as well. Um, you know, as time went on, you know, my wife and I had uh, two beautiful girls, and we decided to move out of the city. We were living in Toronto or close to Toronto at the time. I had grown up in Muskoka, uh, but had been down there the ten years that I was working. We built a house in Muskoka and just, it, you know, logistically it was getting pretty tricky to be away all the time uh, when the kids were young and, and, and just, you know, to be away two or three nights a week just wasn't ideal. Um, so yeah, moved into the landscape construction uh, industry, started Muskoka Landscapers, was fortunate. The company that I worked for actually had some work in Muskoka that I was able to subcontract and really had a good start. Um, and it kind of just blossomed from there. And Muskoka, as big as an area as it is, uh, there's, you know, these large friend groups. And we were lucky enough to get in with a few of those and do some really cool projects in our first year. Uh, you know, we only had four or five employees at the time. Um, you know, we're up to 33 now. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a bit of slow growth. I think at some point, too, I, I just knew that I wanted to do something on my own. Uh, be a little more in control of, of the future, so to speak, uh, for myself and my family. And then, you know, as the company grew, I just enjoyed it more and more. And once I really got a passion for being an entrepreneur, uh, all kinds of great things, you know, started to happen and cool things within the business and strategies and other businesses. And, uh, yeah, the past 10 years have been amazing. That's really cool, dude. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned, you know, obviously coming through and, and growing the company up from a few employees up to 30 some now. 
you know, how are you finding it best to, to get great team members to come on board with you? What do you, what do you offer, if you will, then you're uh, out there to get those, those good, uh, that good talent? Yeah. I mean, it's still tricky. And, and I know locally there, there's still a lot of people that are really struggling with it, whether they're in the landscape industry or construction or any service or labor-based uh, field. Um, I think one of the things about five years ago, you know, I think my first seven, eight years in business, I was really focused on customer service and uh, that was always kind of my priority. And about five, six years ago, um, I really started to switch to more of a, a, you know, trying to put the employees first. And that just slowly created a great culture where now we have such a good team of people that um, we rarely get somebody who stays who doesn't fit. Um, and not by my doing, but just by, you know, working with people that have kind of the same uh, attitude and culture uh, that we're trying to promote. And, and the other thing is funds, like, you just got to pay more. I think yeah. the days of, and I don't know about Pennsylvania and uh, Northern US, but locally, the, the $20 days are over. You know, if you want to skilled person that's going to spend the day on a saw and be able to jump in a skid steer and run a laser and, you know, do all the things that need to be done on a day-to-day basis. And certainly in an eight month period, not only are we competing with year round operators, um, you know, you just, it's, I'm sure you've seen it there too with inflation and like you just, very hard for somebody to live on $20 an hour, even with dual income, it's, it's, it's tough. So we really raised our rates, which meant we had to also raise all of our existing employees rates. Um, but I think overall it was good timing. I mean, everybody knows there's been increases in the past couple of years. Um, again, we were super thankful that, you know, the past two years have been our best two years, uh, from a financial standpoint, um, you know, and, and back at the beginning of COVID who, who really knew, you know, we all started working from home and didn't really know what was going on and two man, two man crews and separate washrooms and like all the things that we had to do to kind of get through it. But, you know, customers didn't bail, everything continued, a little slower pace. Um, but yeah, I think, I think wages is certainly one culture, you know, five, six years ago, we got into benefits and pensions. Um, and then we did a good thing this year too that really, really worked out well for us. We we started advertising on Instagram back in February that we were going to run a, a training week uh, where anybody could come in, experience or no experience. We paid them $25 an hour and basically have a week's worth of landscape training. Um, and we had, we had almost 20 applicants and we ended up hiring eight on, or sorry, seven of the eight that, that came to the training. Um, but we did everything from, you know, first couple of days were like safety and how the office works and design and, and then the rest was field training. You know, this is how to safely operate a quick cut. This is how you change the filter and blades. This is how you set up a laser properly, transfer grades, skids to your operation. Um, kind of, and not with the intent that we'd have expert landscapers in a week. But they had the basics. They could go and be a helper on any site. Um, and it also gave us a really good week to speak with them and see what they were all about and if we thought they'd be a good fit. And, and it was also the supers were doing all the training. So it, 
I think it was really good. I think it was really good. Everybody is excited about the season. Um, yeah, I think it was a probably one of the best things we've done. I really love that, dude. That's really a, such a such a good idea to advertise that. Hey, come out and train with us for a week. We'll pay you to be here. And then you get to pick the cream of the crop, right? You get to see how they work, how they interact, do they show up? Let's do that first before we count on them to show up for our jobs, right? Right. Really, that's such a such a smart idea. How did you come up with that idea? What was the kind of the primer for that? Um, I think it was. I th- I'm not really sure what at what point it kind of came as an idea, but we knew we needed to do something different. Everybody's doing the same things as far as advertising and they're on the same sites and same social media, um, you know, retention benefits and all these, these different things have been around for a long time. Um, you know, years ago we started doing salaries for seasonal employees. So they would get paid year round, even though they might have eight or 10 weeks holidays. That was a good one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the training week, you know, now that we have as many people as we do, there's a lot of times people don't even see each other for months at a time, depending on what site they're on, let alone get into the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really just a way we knew we were going to do a training week in-house anyway. Uh, that might have only been a couple of days to stretch it over five. Um, but we just thought it was maybe a creative way to try and attract some people that you know, wanted to change or were looking for a change. I think the rate was high enough that it made it attractive from some other providers. Um, and yeah, when, once we did it, resume started. And then it was funny when we actually started posting videos of the training week uh, on Instagram, we probably got another eight or nine good resumes. Wow. So it was Such uh, a good idea. successful. And I think it's something we'll continue to do. That's awesome. Guys, you're listening out there and you're thinking about how you're going to attract great help. This is such a golden nugget right here that Kevin's dropping on us, this concept of even if you were to have people come out for say, look, no commitment, one week, that's it. Come out, take a look, we'll pay you. You can come out even even if it's not separate. Maybe it is a job site you're working on and just test them out because they want the same thing. Right. They want to make sure that the company is a good fit for them and that your culture is a good fit for them. So this is not them saying I'm committing the rest of my life or something much bigger than a week. Plus, they get paid for it. So that's they're going to it's a win win. I, I love this idea. Such a good idea. That's cool. Yeah, it worked, worked really well. And, you know, the other thing that was good about it is it kind of got there was a lot of preparation work for the supers to set up stations at the yard and on sites and really think about mm-hmm. how they were going to teach people. And as a group it helped them all streamline a little bit how they're individually doing things, you know, in landscape, everybody has little tricks and different ways of Mm -hmm. installing. Um, but this really made it. So we were all teaching the same thing and the same way. Um, you know, that may vary as time goes on and people get more experience, but, um, it was certainly a good way to start. I really enjoy the, your idea of putting employees first, Right. I don't even like calling people employees, like calling them team right. members, right? Because it's uh, it has a nicer ring to it and they feel more inclusive. Uh, so when you you mentioned about benefits and obviously this training day, and what else do you do that, you, that you've inter- you know, integrated in the last uh, couple of years to put your employees first? Is there any other little nuggets that you learned along the way? Um, I mean, I think we're really just trying to do things as best we can for them. You know, whether yeah. that's safety and reliable equipment and you know, reliable trucks, um, good support, um, good culture. We do a lot of, you know, we do, a, this is our 15th year this year. So we'll be having a, 
a big Christmas party at a nice resort up here. Um, we'll do staff barbecues, uh, company rodeo we did last year was, was super fun and, and exciting. Everybody, we, they're already, you know, chomping at the bit for that one. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, not only that, but more flexibility, I think in, in this day and age and everybody has a different opinion on it and, and what age group it is, but. I find it super interesting that a lot of younger people that come into the business, um, you know, we had a guy a few years ago that came in and said, you know, these are my qualifications. He was very qualified, but knew he only wanted to work four days a week. Okay. Um, you know, so we said, okay, that's fine. And he was a fantastic, uh, addition. Um, and I think more and more, you know, we've got a couple people that still work remote a little bit. Um, one of our admin people has just had a baby. So she's really only in the office a day a week. Um, I don't know. I think you just got to be more flexible and more family orientated and, and everybody has a time, you know, we've got a mixed match of, of people that some of the guys or girls are at that baby age where they need to help out at home once in a while, a little bit more or drop the kids on the bus or pick them up or whatever it is. So I think we just try to be more flexible. It's not, you know, we're seven to five thirty every day, regardless of what's going on. Uh, long weekends, we usually quit at noon on the Friday. Everybody can get to where they're going. Um, and, and I think too, like just overall planning. The better things are planned, the less stress there is. And when job sites aren't stressed, the guys aren't stressed. The work gets done more efficiently. Uh, there's more communication on how it can get done more efficiently. Um, so I think I don't think it's one thing. I just think it's a lot of things that we're trying to work on, and I'm sure we'll keep adding to it. Like things are, you know, what it's like. Things constantly mm-hmm. change. You think you have a system in place that's working, and you run with it, and one day you go, "Man, we, we need to we need to adjust this a little bit." Yeah. Um, and again, I I think all those benefits of you know happy people help create happy customers. Um, and it's all positive stuff. The bottom line is better. You can pay more. You're more efficient. Like there's just a lot of good things about having good culture. No doubt. And, I, and I would just add to, I probably struggled for seven or eight years, keeping people around that I shouldn't have because I needed them. Yeah. You know, when that happens now, I don't hesitate. Right. If you're not a good fit, I don't care how skilled you are. If you're not a good fit and, or if you're the type of person, Oh, I can't work with that crew or I don't want to be over here. Like, you know, uh, yeah, we'll move on. Yeah. So how do you, uh, when that happens, say you have somebody that just isn't a good cultural fit, how do you let them go? I don't want to say I'm kind of a matter of fact about it, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm just honest about it. It can be done very simply. It doesn't have to be personal. Um, if they want an explanation, I'm happy to give it. Um, yeah, again, it's, I think a lot of, employers or people who run businesses, including myself for many years, really, really struggled with it because I felt like I needed them. You know, I didn't want to get behind in work or have to try and replace them mid season. Yet anytime it did happen, and it didn't happen a lot, but you know, probably three or four times over the years, you know, yeah, it's, it's shitty for a week and then you move on. And yeah. it also creates an opportunity for somebody else. Yep. Right. Um, 
been lucky too. Like lots of long time, like two of the guys that we were four of us the first year, two of those guys, one guy is my GM and the other guy is the operations manager now. Okay. Um, so that type of thing helps out a lot as well. Having long time staff that can, can help move up the ladder and, and learn from experience. And, um, I think people that are in the field really look up to those guys as well, because they've got, you know, they know what they're talking about. They know what they're designing. They know what they're pricing. Um, yeah, the benefits along long-term employees or staff or team members is the best, the best, uh, thing you can have, I think in any business. Yeah. I mean, it's priceless at that point, you know, so they have all the experience that comes with and, you know, they, they all, they know how you do things, how they, they helped you build the things you do. Right. So that being the case, you know, to have them long-term, it's, it's always the the goal. And, you know, what, what I've found is just like you said, it's, it's uh, just to be honest with people. That's all they want to be. They want to be told honestly what's going on. And if they're not a good fit, you got to let them go. You know, to let go one of mm-hmm. our guys last year and uh, he was doing a good job, but he just wasn't a cultural fit. Right. And it was, it was right. tough because, you know, you feel for the person and you really want that, but you know, it's, it's the old, you just got to rip the bandaid off and burn the boats and let's go. Now we've got, you know, opportunity instead of a problem, we have an opportunity for someone and eventually that gets filled at the right time. So, you know, with constantly, you know, having this out on Instagram where they say, Oh, look, this company actually cares. They're actually doing stuff. They're training people. They're educating. This isn't just about a, a job where you get paid. This is about, training you to be a better, not just a better person, but a better version of you, you know, the best version of you and giving you the opportunity to grow in that environment. It's really cool, dude. So I want to switch gears here a little bit and think about, and this is something that's I'm curious about, how do you price out jobs on islands? You know, you mentioned that there's a, you know, probably a 30% increase in costs for island work, but how do you even figure out how much time, how do you get materials across here? Like, do you guys have that nailed? You obviously have it nailed down. So I'm very curious to see how you do that. Okay, yeah, you froze up for a sec there, Josh. Um, but yeah, island projects, uh, we, we keep it fairly simple, I think. We price the project itself the same way we would if it was on mainland. Okay. Everything in between that is time material. So okay. if the guys are boating out, we bill that. If there's a, our dump trucks are sitting waiting to get on the barge, we bill for them sitting. If we need to bring a skid steer or a forklift over to load the barge. I mean, that doesn't happen very often because most of the barges have their own equipment. But yeah, any of that logistical time is billed as an extra. Um, and that way it just keeps it clear. You know, the pricing is the same for the customer. Uh, and we, we can typically give them a budget based on the size of the project that, you know, they're going to be within whatever 60 and 80 grand worth of uh, barging and logistics. Yeah. That seems super simple. Yeah, I like that. I think it's cleaner. I think it's cleaner. Like they're they're getting a competitive price compared to mainland, and they they know that the logistics are extra. Yep. Um, and yeah, we just bill them, you know, weekly or biweekly as the bills come in, and everything's transparent. We have a markup on it, and yeah, keeps it pretty clean. I like that. I like it because that people that you know buy an island or buy a chunk of an island, they know things are going to be more money. Just to go to the grocery store is a chore, you know. So they Absolutely. they have to have that at least planned into their, uh, you know, into their daily daily run. So, um, Kevin, why do you love doing what you do? What lights you up? Why why is this industry your thing? Um, I, I think one we're building like super cool stuff. Uh, you know, most of the projects we're on. 
it's not the customer's last hundred bucks. They're looking for quality. They, they, you know, are demanding. So quality is very high, but they're also open to ideas. And, you know, a lot of times on projects, especially bigger ones, you, you know, you, you have a design that works, but other things come up, whether it's from being on site multiple times or the guy sitting having lunch going, man, it'd be cool if they did this or that rock feature would be really nice with this. And, um, so that's kind of exciting. You know, we're, we're working with people that, um, or customers, sorry, that want to do like maximize their property and how they're going to use it. They, they typically are very busy people who only have a small window of time to enjoy the, the cottage and, um, they want to get the, they want to get the most out of it. I think, you know, going to the office every day is awesome, whether it's to the field or to the office. Uh, again, just so lucky, honestly, like, uh, such good people there. Our designers are, are fantastic. The ops admin, everybody in the office, it's a fun environment. Um, it's very casual. Um, and then the field is great too. I love going to site meetings. I love selling projects. I love getting contracts signed. Like, you know, you have all those little things that are, are kind of check boxes. And then I love the flexibility that it gives me as well to, to work on some other things as well. So it's, yeah, the, the, the longer I'm in it and the more dialed it gets, obviously the more I enjoy it. Um, um, and I also like too, like there's still trying times too, right? There's still problems and there's things that go wrong. And, you know, on Instagram, everybody posts the, you know, oh, look at this beautiful finished project. And, but who knows what happened, you know? five grand worth of stone on a skid got pushed over and broke because somebody backed into it. And, mm -hmm. you know, somebody forgot a propane line that's under a fire pit. Like there's, you know, there's all these little things that come up or truck damage or snow removal damage or, um, so dealing with all those ins and outs, uh, is good. I love it. No, that's really cool, dude. I love it. So, um, there's something about having something that gets you up in the morning and gets you excited for the day. And, you know, the more dialed in you mentioned. So uh, follow up question with that is obviously you started out with a few employees. You now have 30 employees. How did you take off the hats, if you will, like certain responsibilities in the beginning you have to take on as the owner You kind of get everything at once and you've got to figure it out. And eventually as you grow, you can hand those hats off. But how did you manage the mindset around, you know, handing the certain responsibilities off and just trusting it'll be done? Because obviously you have to at a, you know, a scale you're at now. So do you have any pointers you can give our listeners on how you did that? The first one would be to just do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think for years I didn't. And, yeah. you know, our our field staff grew like super quick. Um, but the office stayed the same. I was still doing all the quoting and invoicing. You know, my wife was working in the business. My mom was doing some of the bookkeeping mm -hmm. and nothing changed, you know, like operationally nothing changed, but the field was growing like crazy. Um, and there was a customer actually, I was speaking to one of my customers and one day and, and he said, it'll be the best money you spend. And, um, yeah, we, we hired another person for the office it was an admin position, which took a lot off of me. Um, I wasn't, you know, chasing money or statements or payroll and like all the, you know, things I could pass on that were easy to pass on. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that slowly just evolved. We now have a couple of designers and a design intern in the office. Um, 
that was a big move getting our first designer. Mm -hmm. Um, that really changed the game. It helped so much with project management and correspondence and, um, there, you know, when you, when you're trying to do it all yourself, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget things. You're not going to communicate properly. And then there's all the problems that come out of that. You know, there was an extra that was verbally agreed, but wasn't, you know, change ordered. There's a bill that should have been sent and wasn't, or one that got missed because it came in late. And I think, you know, subcontractor agreements, like all those things that if you do them well, takes a lot of the stress out of your business, but you need people, you need people to do that. And I would also say that that when we started adding people to the office was when we really started to become more profitable. Um, and also became less stressful for me. For sure. I wasn't getting emails where it was, you know, or a text message, Hey, did you make a decision on this? And meanwhile, it was something I was supposed to do the week before. And, mm-hmm. um, now we always talk about it in the office, like if the customer knows what they're getting, when they're getting it and how much it's going to be, we have no issues. Exactly. Um, and the people that I now have in the office do an amazing job of that. Um, and a lot of that begins right at the, at the design phase. You know, they, they have beautiful templates that they use. They've got a great process for site visits and, um, you know, all the things that I still like to do, but don't always have to do. Um, and that, that's been, been huge for me. Allows me to focus a little more, you know, in the office or on a sale or, um, you know, accountability. You know, I think one of the biggest things about having more people is, you know, you really need to ramp up your systems as well. Um, you know, everybody needs to know who they're responsible to and for what and when, and, uh, somebody needs to find out when that's not the case and, and needs to, you know, help you people accountable, not as a punishment, but just to be able to say like, Hey, you know, you should have had this to so-and-so on Wednesday. They didn't get it till Friday. Now the customer's, you know, waiting. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest thing would be don't hesitate to get people in the office. Like it's, it's like buying that extra piece of equipment. You know, if you were buying a new excavator and you could look at, well, I'm going to run that thing for 1500 hours a year and it's going to make X. That's an easy equation to calculate. It's hard to calculate this new person doing accounting or estimating or takeoffs or whatever they're going to be doing design. Uh, but you'll find that it, it, uh, it helps with everything. It, you know, it helps your business to run better. Absolutely. Dude. And you mentioned that even though you increased your staff size in the office, you became more profitable. How did that happen? I think, I mean, that was kind of a slow process, you know, probably seven, eight years ago, we hired one new person. Um, then we hired another one and backed my wife out of it, which was, was also a great move. Um, Mm. not, I'm sure everybody can appreciate it's nice to go home and be done with work as an entrepreneur. You're not always done with work, but if you're working together, it's even trickier. Um, moving out of the house, like we moved, uh, we moved into an office space seven years ago. That was also a, a big change and a big decision, but nothing but good things. Yeah. So, so to, to explain how it became more profitable, I think it helped us identify the types of projects we were going to do. It, it allowed us to really dial in. Like we basically specialize in technical projects. 
things that have pools and saunas and hot tubs and outdoor kitchens and water features and patios and fire pits and fire orifices and um you know we don't we're, we're I, i'm not we don't just do patios Right. So we try and we try and do complete projects from start to finish, everything outside, furniture selection, umbrellas, the, the works. Um, and it's really helped us do that by having a couple more people in the design uh, end, um, having specialty specialty crews to do certain part projects. Um, and I think that's where the profits come from. It's not that we're doing necessarily more work, but we're just doing it so much more efficiently and pricing it better, handling the technicalities of it better, and the communication is also high level. So there's nothing that's getting missed or reported or the change order didn't get completed. Like, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's hard to say where it really turned around, mm-hmm. but certainly in the past three or four years, it's it's been incredibly uh different yeah i mean there's something that to be said about when you first start a business and you're you're all stuck in the survivor mind right you you've got it it's just you just got to survive you got to survive and you want to do everything because you think by keeping costs down you're going to make more money so then it's going to be more worth it and the problem you run into is that big circle that just keeps coming around where you're the only one doing stuff where you have a very small group and once you release that, which is, sounds like what you've done, released it and get into the thriving mindset of, okay, well, if everybody's doing their the thing that they were destined to do as part of the team, we can all be more efficient. We're all happier. And then you free up the mind space to be able to think about things like, okay, maybe we're going to procure furniture for these sites. Maybe we're going to you know, spend a lot of time thinking about how we're communicating with our clients. Like That's when those times become possible when you're not struggling to just survive in your mind because you you're trying to do everything, uh, burning the boats and making that you know decision to move forward is it's it's all in or it's not. So you know when it comes down to it, you just have to go wide open. And now, uh, Kevin, another question for you: How do you build trust in people, especially when they're managing money and they're managing numbers and your clients and you're not talking to your clients, but they are? Like, how do you shift? You know, you can trust yourself, but how do you trust others to do the same or better than you? How do you how do you make that shift? Yeah, I think I think in some of it's just time you know, building trust, uh, again, uh, the people we have make it, make, make it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's still always checkpoints, right? Like, uh, I see every invoice that goes out before it goes out. Probably don't need to, but I like to, when mm-hmm. I'm signing checks or paying bills, I like to see everything, every invoice that's attached to that column of invoices, even though they've been approved by the PM or operations. Um, I think just having some little checkpoints so that you've still got your pulse on everything, what deposits have come in, what's gone in, what's in the account, uh, visas, like, you know, there, there's some things you just will never completely give up. Um, and, and as much as you think you can, I think, you know, probably all those things and, and the sales portion or that customer relation is, is something that never will go away. Um, and I don't think it should. Um, and I like what you said too about, you know, it's allowed us to do so many more things that we weren't doing before. Like, you know, rarely getting back to projects. You know, now we have a system that reminds us to, hey, we got to get back into that site, do a spring inspection, um, make sure nothing's settled, make sure the trees are doing okay. 
And like that type of stuff, I think goes so far with a customer. When you say, Hey, we noticed this, we're going to send the crew back next Wednesday to fix it up for you before the season gets going. Um, you know, I think that that goes a long way. And, and those are like, that's a little example, but, um, yeah, I think those are the types of things that it allows you to do when you're kind of working on the business rather than, rather than in it. And then of course, too, you got to hire the right people for the, for the right role. Absolutely. Based on their skill sets. And I love the idea maybe sometimes being, too, what you're not necessarily good at. Yeah. And I love the idea of being preemptive and going out maybe six or nine months or a year after the project was installed and just driving by and taking a look, just stopping in because you care. Right. You're, you know, you say, Mrs. Jones, look, there's a little settling over there. That tree doesn't look that good. We'll get the crew out here to fix it before the warranty's up. Imagine what kind of power that is for your referral machine. When it's like, I didn't have to call and beg them. They right. showed up and just did it because that's the right thing to do. And then your, ad, your marketing and advertising doesn't need to be as big because you, everyone's talking about you. And it's, it's pretty calm. Just take care of people like you want to be taken care of. And the world is a better place for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That, and we are. We're 95% referral based. So it, yeah. again, communication, quality, good people. Yeah. Um, and it, and you know, I'm, I'm probably making it sound like it's easy, but there was eight or 10 years of it not being and making lots of mistakes and learning from my mistakes and yep. finding the right people and all those things. But I think once you really start focusing in on your staff uh, and their capabilities and what they can do, everything else will come. Uh, it'll, it'll just happen. You got to work hard at it, but the yeah. harder you work at it, the, you know, the better it gets. Or the, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? <laughs> Isn't that yeah, too well, yeah, that's, that's a good one too, right? Like it's, yes. uh, and I think too, like don't be content, you know? Yeah. Uh, you got to keep, you never have everything 100%. There's always things to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, every year we do like a, an annual review and talk about all the things that were big improvements and the things that we need to work on and and then we try and run with those changes for the season and then, you know, make adjustments again. But I think it, you'll do that no matter how successful you're, you've been, you know, you still need to review and maybe something else will work better for a certain person or a certain staff member or eliminate one person having to be involved. Like there's always ways to, to tweak. I love it. I love it. Kevin, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and listening to your story and you know, your unique situation with the, the island work and you know your, your mindset around business and your employees. I really appreciate it. So um, how can the listeners find you? And, and please tell them about your website. I was on it earlier. It's beautiful what you've done uh, with the way you've laid it out and also the beautiful pictures and photography. So tell, tell us how people can find you. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. It's uh, muskokalandscapers.ca. It's all one word with an S, dot C-A. Uh, to get to our website, same for social media, Instagram and, and Facebook. Um, but yeah, you can get our address, contact info. My info is on there. Uh, and yeah, feel free to feel free to reach out. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure we include that in the show notes so anybody can take a look and see what you're doing, man. I certainly appreciate your time. Do you have any nuggets you want to drop on our listeners before we wrap up? Well, I'd like to thank you. Thanks for getting me on. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure and love what you guys are doing too. The show, the show is amazing. And I've listened to most of the podcasts. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll get through the rest. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I tell everybody out there as owners, like there's no magic bullet, you know, hard work, continue to learn, uh, have your staff continue to learn. And yeah, there's no quick way to get there. 
That's right. <laughs> it's no straight line either, is it? No, it's not. And you got to find which one's right for you. Yeah. Yeah. Find your spot in there. So Kevin, thank you again for coming on. And uh, as you guys, everyone that listens knows our goal is to impact and empower 2 million people in the next four and a half years. So uh, if you love what you heard here or thought it'd be interesting for somebody that you know to learn about how to build, you know, outdoor living spaces on islands, which I think is really freaking cool. Um, share the episode or, uh, you know, even share the podcast with them. And uh, it's going to be, you know, your help has taken us so far. And you know, we, we reach thousands of people, you know, a week through this podcast. And I just love that we have the opportunity to bring amazing people like Kevin out and share his story. And uh, yeah, again, thank you everyone. And if you know somebody, share the, uh, the episode. Thanks again, guys.